This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey guys, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Today, I'm your host, Robbie Lashwa, and I'm here with my co-host, Tyler Hurley. What's up, Tyler? What is up, Robbie? We are super excited today because we have a very special guest on this week's show to talk about the pro-life movement, Yeah, right? this is a big deal. With this time where we're at with yeah. the election cycle and all the craziness that's going on, and as Christians, like, how do we decide, you know, who we're going to vote for, what we're going to think, mm-hmm. how do we live biblically in a really chaotic political yeah, situation? Yeah, because it's, it's about so. that time again, another yeah. Four years has passed, and there's another big election coming up. And this, uh, there's always some, there's always a candidate out there that you can vote for that makes the poor decision on pro-life movement, and that's something yeah. that we really have to take into consideration. Yeah, so we, we really want to talk about that. that a lot today. Yeah. yeah. So our guest today is Seth Gruber. Seth is an awesome guy. I've been listening to his podcast uh, for a while now. Uh, he travels and speaks at Protestant Catholic high schools all over the country. He does pro-life training, seminars, uh, pregnancy resource uh, center banquets. He does academic debates, blogs. He has his own podcast, which is called Unaborted, which you need to go and you need to subscribe to right now. It is just great. Uh, He's been featured in World Magazine, American Family Association, Christian Research Institute, Christianity Today, LifeSite News, Live Action News, Students for Life in America, and National Radio Broadcast. And he's a really nice guy on top of all of that. Uh, So Seth, we are stoked that you are here today to talk with us about the pro-life movement. How are you doing, man? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Christian apologetics meets pro-life apologetics, and you know we're gonna be just a super apologist today. So that's right, that's right. Yeah, super <laughs> apologist. We should make T-shirts or something. Yeah, yeah. that'd be awesome. Or no, we're, we're, we're beyond that. We get tattoos now. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> make it more a little more permanent. Yeah. Well, Seth, we're really glad to have you, man, and uh, honestly, really appreciate what you do. We have worked with you know Alan Schleeman from Standard Reason does pro-life stuff. Um, also, yeah. out here, we're pretty involved with our crisis pregnancy center in. Phoenix and we do the walk for life with them every year and advocate for them and and help them train their people in certain things. Um, Just love uh, how God is really using the pro-life movement in America uh, in this time. In the last 20 years, there's been huge momentum swing, I think, with younger people uh, in this movement. So again, before we get into all of that stuff, right off the bat, big question we need to ask right away is, do you like coffee? Yeah, that that is that is a big question. Yeah, it thank is. you. Yeah, yeah we, we we gotta start pumping our our blood with uh, caffeine before we get into this very light uh, light topic. <laughs> um, yeah, I do I do like coffee. I, I didn't grow up drinking coffee. Um, I think my my mom drank coffee growing up. My dad hated coffee; would never touch it. Um, hated anything that had a strong taste to it. Never drank alcohol. Okay. And then it wasn't until you know ironically like all of us college where you're like okay i can't i can't uh, i can't study yeah I need, sure. I need to put myself with caffeine and then after college i sort of like started you know refining my taste in, in what i actually liked so unfortunately uh, as popular as sort of the chemex and the drip and the pour overs are i can't handle it okay yeah that's all right <laughs> i can't handle it i am i am so susceptible to substances and okay. so like if i have a pour over i'm just wrecked like i'm all <laughs> i start i start shaking yeah. I, am, I like look at my wife i'm like 
what's wrong? Like, I feel like I'm not, I'm not a Catholic, but I feel like I'm like, I have to go to confession. Like, I feel like anxious. Like I did something wrong. Yeah. My wife's like, no more pour overs for you. Um, so, but, so I like, I like, I'll do like Americanos, okay. uh, because it's like way watered down so I can handle it. Yeah. I like Americanos. Um, I'll, I'll wake up with my son. We'll go on a walk. We live right by the beach. I'll grab an Americano and just do that. And then if I'm meeting up with people, I get a little bit, I, I'm a little bit of a frou-frou. So I like my lattes. That's all right. Uh, hey, that's that's good. Good. So probably not as refined as you guys, but that that's sort of my mo. Listen, man, there's no shame in what you like. Everyone has different tastes, and yeah, as long as you just like it, that's what matters, right? That's the important thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Unless you said Folgers, and then we'd make fun of. Yeah, you we we make fun so. of Folgers a lot on the show. That's kind of becoming a reoccurring theme here. Yeah, I make, I make fun of my in-laws when we go when we go there for Christmas because okay. they still have Folgers. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. isn't that like? Dollar fifty cent Ralph's version. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> right. My grandpa, same thing. I'm like, man, grow up already. Yeah. Okay, but I this, so. love the smell of good coffee. So, like mm. in college at Westmont, my roommates or my my you know my flatmates, they would they would like grind it themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so oh. I'd wake up to them grinding it, and they'd use the Chemex and they'd do the pour over, and I loved the smell. Wow. But if I drank yeah. it, then my then I was I was just destroyed for <laughs> yeah. the next three well, hours. Well, that's great. So so far the consensus with everyone we've had on enjoys the smell of coffee. Even the person who didn't drink coffee talked yeah. about a lot about the smell. So that's great. That's yeah, good. I haven't <laughs> met a person who doesn't like the smell of it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's God's gift to mankind. Guess so. so. There it is. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, but, good. We're glad you like coffee. We're glad you know your drinks. Yes. And you know your limits. That's another right. That's another important thing. There was, there was this one time, man, where I uh, – so I drank coffee like a lot. And in college, it was bad. I was getting like – Black, do you know like red eyes and black eyes are? It's like espresso in black coffee, so it's just caffeine on caffeine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was drinking like four or five ventis a day. It was bad. Um, and then um, <laughs> I'd get headaches if I didn't have it. And I'm like, this is bad. I need to wean myself off the caffeine. So I did. But then um, I was weaning myself off, and then I ate a bunch of uh, chocolate covered espresso beans one day. And because I'd been weaning myself off, I couldn't handle the caffeine anymore. And my heart started pumping. <laughs> and I was like, am I dying? Like, what's wrong with me? I don't even right, know what's right. going on. But knowing your limits, Seth, that's a big important thing in, that's in the great. Christian walk. <laughs> so that's good. Anyway, well, good. Good coffee talk. All right. Well, let's get into the topic for today. So if we could just start off, Seth, I just wanted to ask you just to kick off the topic. Why, as Christians, is the pro-life movement so vital for us to have a position on? Absolutely. Yeah, that that is the most sort of fundamental question, right? Because we can approach this from a purely human rights perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Of just why should humans care about abortion? But Christians do have the theological underpinnings that make the best sense of the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. You know, if the claims of Jesus are true, then... Every, everything he says about himself, everything he says about mankind is also objectively true. And so as proponents of reality, I guess, right, because scripture says Jesus is reality, mm-hmm. um, we have the best sort of explanation from an ideological, theological worldview explanation of why human beings are intrinsically valuable, why we have more valuable above other kinds of beasts or other forms of life. And of course, you know, you and your listeners would probably be able to answer this question just as well as I, which would be that we're created in the image of God, right? This idea of the Imago Dei. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, the Bible has always forbidden the shedding of innocent blood, 
the Bible takes the shedding of innocent blood very seriously, right? The, the proverb says that God hates hands that shed innocent blood. And if you want to know how God feels about abortion, by the way, just read how God reacts to his people's complicity in child sacrifice. Yeah. He has some very colorful language for his people. He says things like, if one of these men sacrifices his child to Molech, I will cut him off from the people. He says, it never entered my mind that you would do this, meaning sacrificing your children to Molech. Um, and he describes his people's complicity in child sacrifice as whoring after Molech. Mm. Well, I've always said that Satan doesn't care the name of the God that you sacrifice your children to. And as Christians, we understand that any other God, small g, besides Yahweh, is just a manifestation of Satan. Mm -hmm. It's Satan manifesting himself through spiritual powers in the forms of different idols mm -hmm. to pull people away from Christ. So there are no other gods, right? There is but one God, mm -hmm. and any other God is an idol that is really Satan. And so Satan doesn't care whether you sacrifice your child to actually a gold statue of Molech or whether it's the pagan gods of convenience, education, money, and career well-being. Mm -hmm. As long as you continue to shove children down his throat, he will be satisfied. Mm -hmm. Greg Cunningham, a longtime leader of the pro-life movement, once said that Satan would kill God if he could, but he can't. So he kills babies because he knows it wounds the heart of God mm -hmm. and hurts the church. Wow. And so this is a spiritual battle um, far more than it is purely a political battle. Mm -hmm. It has political yeah. realities, but it is at root a spiritual battle. Why? Because these are image bearers of God who were knit together in their mother's wombs, fearfully and wonderfully made, such that the first person to recognize Christ was an unborn child. Mm -hmm. And if Roe versus Wade had been enforced in the first century, Jesus would have been likely aborted, apart from the sovereignty of Christ, of course, mm -hmm. because Mary checked all of the Planned Parenthood prospect checkboxes, mm -hmm. Married with a man threatening to leave her, a teenager without any financial stability. Yeah. And yet we have woke Christian progressives today telling us that we need to vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because Trump is orange man bad. Yeah. Uh, essentially saying that they will cast their vote for America's form of child sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So that's why Christians have to care about abortion and why the only truly Christian position is a pro-life position. Well, and see, and that's that's a uh, something that I've been hearing a lot of, uh, not not just this election cycle, but I, I'm old. I'm almost 37 years old. I'm, I'm old. <laughs> you look good. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, that's very nice. I put the, on, on Skype, you know, I put the, like, uh, the blemish remover on, so I look <laughs> right. nice through the lens. Yeah. But I was going to uh, guess 31. So. Yeah, well, that's good. But, um, so I've seen you, you always, a lot of times it comes up where it's like, listen, man, this is just one issue, right? This isn't like the only thing to vote for. There's so much to humanity and, you know, there's people that are poor and there's people that need welfare and there's all these other issues. And so, yes, this is probably a little bad, the abortion thing, but in order to vote for these other issues, I'm okay with, uh, voting a pro-choice candidate in. So I guess my question for you is, should Christians be pro-choice? I think I asked you earlier, can they be pro-choice? But right. the real question, of course you can. You can do anything, uh, even sin, right? You can do bad things. But should a Christian be pro-choice? 
Right. Great question, guys. You know what? I've been answering this question for a long time. I, I turned 29 this this coming weekend on August 30th, and I've been answering this question since I was 18 when I did my senior project on abortion my senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. And that's really what sort of catapulted me into the pro-life movement. But I just recently decided to finally sit down and do an entire podcast episode on this question. So for your listeners, as Robbie already said, go subscribe to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Mm -hmm. um, as you scroll down, it's just two or three down, two or three or four down. It's called Can a Christian Be Pro-Choice? And uh, I think I and uh, destroying the theological case for abortion or something like that. So I, I answer that question, and then I also tackle the ridiculous ways that woke Christians try to actually utilize the Bible or the silence of the Bible mm. to argue for either biblical oh, yeah. apathy on abortion or a pro-choice position from Scripture. And, and yeah. we can get into that depending on, on kind of where this conversation takes us. Sure. But my answer to that question is this. A Christian can be pro-choice, but not permanently. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, neither can a bad tree bear good fruit. And when we come to Christ, particularly if we weren't raised in the church, we will have all sorts of ideas mm -hmm. that need to be baptized. We might hold all sorts of opinions that will need to be abandoned. Mm -hmm. We might go to all types of places and associate with all types of people that will need to be abandoned, mm -hmm. right? And as we begin to be sanctified, we begin to change how we think about the world. We put on gospel lenses. Mm -hmm. We adopt a Christian worldview. And then bad or sometimes evil ideas must be abandoned. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is, this is, we're just talking about sanctification. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and it is the role of the pulpit and of pastors and shepherds to help in that process. Mm -hmm. So can you be a Christian and truly be born again and hold a pro-choice position? Sure, mm -hmm. but not permanently. That has to be abandoned. Mm -hmm. um, I think it would be strange for a Christian today to defend the premise that Germany, that German Nazis were just filled with a bunch of born again believers. Yeah. We'd probably go, um, probably not, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so similarly on abortion, um, you can't continue in that way. Just as we would, we would say that with anything else, right? You, you can't continue to look at pornography sure. and, and, and throw yourself into sexual immorality and continue to be a Christian. And Paul has a lot of powerful words, right? He has a lot to say about that uh, that sort of Christian justification, right? Mm -hmm. Shall we continue sitting so that grace may increase? Of course not. Mm -hmm. So that would be sort of my my nuanced answer to that question, though it's, I, I guess it's not that nuanced. It's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. um, but there can be no relationship between Christianity and the pro-abortion position. Yeah, that's really mm -hmm. good, man. I think to make that distinction, though, because, again, as Christians, we can do stupid things, right? And and we're growing in Christ. Um, and as we're seeking him and following after him and being disciples, we're going to be yeah. sanctified. Um, but, yeah, the idea that does, does the pro-choice movement uh, fit with the Christian worldview, it just – it does not. Mm. God is not happy with that. And it's not – I don't I, – it's so interesting to me how people act like, well, that's just an opinion. It's like, no, that's not really an opinion. Like, I mean, yeah. it's God's opinion, I guess you could say, but it's, he's right. very clear about very clear, certain yeah. issues, you know? There's debate on, you know, eschatology and certain things like that. And it's like, okay, we do, we do the best we can and we got to land somewhere. But this one, man, I, I don't know how people yeah. throw that into this category. 
You can't. And then that's the thing, too. I'm thinking, like, it it always stems back. Like, obviously, if you believe in the Bible is true as a Christian and you believe God's word and that human life is valuable, then Mm -hmm. if the unborn is a human being, then you should see it as valuable and you should defend it, right? Because as a Christian, that's what we should be doing in in alignment with Scripture. Mm -hmm. So it's just uh, thinking that through in that process, uh, it, it doesn't really... That's where I guess you start to get into some of the arguments and stuff, but it's uh, it's very interesting. It's like thinking, uh, how how can you rationalize as a believer the killing of a human life in 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 the unborn? And so that's that's where it's really I think it gets a little interesting. Is that people who try to defend it from a biblical basis they they just have this fog over their eyes, in my opinion. That's just, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, Tyler. And you and you just exactly nailed it. Right? It is that the the fundamental question in the abortion debate is who counts as one of us? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. ultimately what yeah. we're asking, right? Yeah. Um, who is part of the human race? Mm-hmm. And are all humans equal in value? And where does this value come from? Does our value as human beings and therefore our right to life stem from certain functions and capacities? Does it come from certain accidental properties mm-hmm. that vary across person to person? Or is it grounded in a human nature? Mm-hmm. The pro-life answer to that question is it's grounded in a human nature. Yep. As soon as we accept the premise that human value and therefore right to life is dependent on your capacities or functions, Mm -hmm. then we now enter a world of Darwinianism Mm. in which the strong can kill the weak, in which might makes right, because we do not have anything in common at a fundamental level as human beings except a human nature, Mm. right? And our properties and capacities and functions are going to come in varying degrees, right? So pro-choicers will say something like, well, it's okay to kill the unborn child through an abortion because the unborn child cannot feel pain. Mm -hmm. And so they're, you know, they're not fully viable, right? So I say something like this, well, have you heard of a disease called congenital analgesia? And they go, what's that? And I say, well, it's, it's actually a disorder in which born people cannot feel any pain. Mm-hmm. So you could slit open their wrists and they would start bleeding out and look at you and they might as well just tell you a joke. They wouldn't mm-hmm. feel anything. Can I kill them? And they go, no. And I go, okay, well, I guess then human rights and right to life can't be grounded <laughs> yeah. in the ability to feel pain, right? Yeah. And I, I could do this, guys, for the next 30 minutes with oh, you. Yeah. I could start taking every pro-choice argument and I would expose the bigotry in that argument by pointing to the fact that the same type of functions or capacities you argued were necessary for the unborn to have a right to life can also be found amongst born people Mm -hmm. who don't have the same possession of those capacities or to the same degree that you say the unborn must have to have a right to life. Mm -hmm. So then it gets down to... Question is who counts as one of us and yeah, where yeah. does this value come from? Exactly. And then if they say, okay, well, it's not about, you know, certain characteristics or traits or abilities we have, then is it literally about location? Like you're in the womb and then you're out? So location exactly. makes you a human I being or like not? That. That's nonsense. You know, does the birth canal magically confer personhood? <laughs> no. <laughs> There's some type of uh, uterine fairy yeah. uh, that sprinkles personhood conferring fairy dust on the child through the no. six-inch journey. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's just, right? it's, 
just silliness, right? Where one is, as Frank Beckwith says, has no bearing on who one is. Yeah. Um, yep. So we could, we could we could you know crush these pro-choice arguments for days, um, but ultimately, what the pro-abortion advocate is assuming is one of two things: either the unborn is not human. Mm. Or they are a human, but they're not a person. Yeah. Now the burden of proof is on them to explain what's the difference between a human and a person yeah. and what capacities are necessary for one to be a person mm -hmm. and whatever capacities or functions that they point to to say to, for the litmus test of personhood, mm -hmm. I can show them a born person who would fail to meet the litmus test of personhood you just presented for the unborn child. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the pro-abortion position, guys, destroys human equality mm -hmm. because yeah. it grounds human rights in functions and capacities that we don't have in common. It's only by grounding human value and a right to life in our human nature, mm -hmm. which is the only thing we have in common, that we can maintain human equality. Yeah, hmm. no, that, it, dude, that's a great way to say it. And that's that's the absolute truth. And it's fascinating right now because we're seeing, you know, a, a culture war over um, that skin color doesn't make somebody better or worse, right? That's kind of the idea. However, it's the same group who is demeaning another portion of society <laughs> and saying, well, if you're an unborn, that yeah, does discriminate you. Well. That's right, yeah. It, this, our culture is, pri is uh, sort of primed for this conversation right now. Oh, yeah. Because let's let's just assume, okay, let's assume the premises of the Black Lives Matter proponents, okay? Mm -hmm. There's systemic racism mm -hmm. in our country. And the 1619 Project from the New York Times, that's our true founding because that's when the first slaves hit the American shore. So therefore, that represents who we are far more than 1776 when we articulated mm. the ideas of natural rights into law. And while we fail to live up to those values and while we fail to adequately apply those natural rights to all Americans, the story of America is a, is a upward struggle Mm -hmm. in 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 equity in mm -hmm. fairness in in attributing those natural rights to all Americans yes no no that's not America according to mm -hmm. black lives matter we're systemically racist root and branch from our inception and our institutions are infected with systemic racism which is ironic because the left controls all the institutions so it begs <laughs> the question why didn't you root out the systemic racism but let's just right. assume that, that, that those claims are true okay yeah. what they're getting at is a fundamental pro-life position. It's a fundamental yeah. pro-life ideology, which is that our value is not based on accidental properties like skin color. Mm -hmm. That's why we would be in agreement with the phrase Black Lives Matter, yeah. sure. even though we wouldn't support the Marxist organization that wants to tear down the family and kill black babies. Yes. Because we agree yeah. with the phrase. And the reason is because it's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, yep. white nor black. Our value is based on our humanity that comes from being image bearers of God. Yes. But those same people, as Robbie just accurately observed, that decry racism because it mistreats innocent human beings mm. based off of capacities that they have no control over, i.e. skin color, yeah. will then turn around and support one of the most pro-abortion organizations in the country, Black Lives Matter, Planned Parenthood, and they 
discriminate against unborn human beings based on capacities they have no control over, namely yeah. being smaller and more developed and less developed. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's what's crazy because it's like if you think about it, it's a, a, a people group who in the past had been dehumanized who now is fighting against that while dehumanizing an entire new population of, of the people group. Robbie, it's one of my greatest frustrations in the last six months has been the majority of black America's willingness to support the Democratic Party and to support the pro-abortion position. Mm -hmm. And I sit there and I figuratively bang my head against the table Mm -hmm. and say, why God, why? (laughs) The same people whose ancestors were denied full rights of personhood Mm -hmm. because of something they couldn't control about themselves Mm -hmm. are supporting the same political bleeping party (laughs) that that enslave their ancestors and now promotes a modern form of that ideological bigotry mm-hmm. in yeah. denying the unborn human being full rights of personhood because of capacities they have no control over. Yeah. And yeah. well, I think something that we don't talk enough about in culture either is that like the Americanized ab- legal abortion was created out of racism. Like they sp- sp- specifically place Planned Parenthoods and legal abortion clinics in black neighborhoods to reduce the black population because it was created out of a racist act. And so you're seeing it's incredible. It's like this was uh, like legalized abortion was meant to reduce the black population. And there's so many quotes and evidences that this is what they're talking about. Are you saying that cancel culture is really selective and who they call the cancel? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, it's fascinating because like, again, and there's so much debate on this and I don't know where you land on it, but does systemic racism still exist? There's definitely echoes of it and there's there's we're dealing with problems that it had created. Does it exist now? Doesn't it? I think you have to say systemic racism exists in Planned Parenthood abortion clinics. Oh, yeah. Like that's that's really I, like the only clear one racism. I see. exists in two places. Affirmative action that's racist against Asians and whites Mm. and the abortion industry. According to a study by Protecting Mm. Black Life, they found that 79%, so let's call it 80% of Planned Parenthood surgical abortion facilities are located in minority neighborhoods and black neighborhoods within walking distance of that surgical abortion facility. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a racist and eugenicist who spoke at a KKK rally Mm-hmm. who provided the inspiration, okay, the inspiration for Hitler's eugenics policies. Mm-hmm. She hobnobbed with American eugenicists who helped launch the American eugenics movement while Hitler was sitting in a jail after a failed a coup attempt in Munich, poring over the writings of the founders of the American Eugenics Society and writing them freaking fan mail. That's crazy. Saying that their book was, quote, his Bible. Hmm. Margaret Sanger hobnobbed with these American eugenicists and also helped write some of the inspirational policy for Hitler's eugenics um, policy in, in, in Germany. And Margaret Sanger launched the Negro Project with the express intent of decreasing the amount of black people, Mm -hmm. right? And she wrote to a pastor by the name of Dr. Clarence Gamble, amongst others, because her goal, guys, was actually to get black pastors on board with her Negro Project, which was to infect urban minority communities with birth control and sell it as an empowering tool 
with the ultimate goal of creating less black people. And she said to a letter to Dr. Clarence Gamble, we do not want word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And we have a statue of Margaret Sanger outside of one of the massive Planned Parenthood facilities. And Planned Parenthood continues to give the Margaret Sanger Award, I believe yeah. on an mm -hmm. annual basis. Yeah. And guess one of the recipients of the Margaret Sanger Award was? Pause, Hillary Clinton, who <laughs> said that she was proud to receive and be recognized alongside women like Margaret Sanger. Yeah. Um, so as it turns out, cancel culture is very selective in who they call to cancel. Mm -hmm. And mm. they care that the movement that they support, which results in the slaughter of one million image bearers every year, has its inception mm. in the American eugenics movement mm. and racism and even with the KKK. Right. That is disgusting. Well, and, and it's amazing people yeah. don't know about it. Yeah. One, yeah. one thing I wanted to just clarify, because I think this is important before we move on to the next question, is um, when we talk about the image of God in us, right? And again, theologians debate over what exactly is that? What is, you know, hu you said human nature. If, if, if our dignity and value isn't rooted in our human nature, then none of us have anything else in common, right? Or, right. or all of us don't have something else in common. So when you say human nature, what 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 would be kind of like a street term or, or a normal way to say this is what I mean by human nature? Human beings. Yeah. I I I I don't I, I don't get into too much into the weeds with it. I don't complicate it too much mm -hmm. because here's why. I believe that eternity is written on the heart of man. Mm -hmm. I believe that as Romans said, man is without excuse. Mm -hmm. God has made his divinely, uh, you know, his invisible attribute attributes, you know, see, uh, visible to all, right? You mm -hmm. look up at the stars, <laughs> you sin, you yeah. feel guilt, right? Um, and I think that reality tends to be self-evident. And, and I think that reality in this case is that regardless of political partisanship, regardless of religious opinions, human beings fundamentally believe that human beings are more valuable than any other form of life. Yeah. Now, yeah. will they all say that? No, they won't. But if you push them on that, they will. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, sure. so they'll say, no, we're just another form of life floating around through the world. Mm -hmm. Right. That they'll, they'll say things like, you know, that, uh, animal rights are just as, uh, as important yeah. as human rights, because ultimately we're all just floating atoms crashing around in the universe and, yeah. and, uh, there's no creator. So therefore no one is intrinsically valuable. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and then I, of course, I always ask, and why are you so passionate about animal rights? <laughs> why matter, yeah, right? exactly. Right. But then you can ask them, you know, I'll ask them something like this, you know, I'll say, are you really telling me that there's no difference between eating a hamburger and a Herald burger? Mm. Yeah. Are you really telling me that there's no difference between you stopping by the in and out drive through on your way home and you stopping by to eat your child on the way home? Mm hmm. You're saying those are fundamentally morally equivalent. No, no of no. course not. That's disgusting, Seth. How could you say that? Okay, yeah. well, you just proved yourself wrong. Yeah. You just proved that you actually believe human beings are intrinsically valuable mm -hmm. because of a human nature. And it's that human nature that makes us different than any other form of life. And, of course, yeah. we can get into the, into the philosophical weeds if we want, right? Well, that, a I rational think, nature yeah. um, that all things being equal will be realized given time. And we could get into more of that. Sure. But ultimately, pro-lifers just make a very simple argument that we have value and 
and we have equality because of a human nature. And most people at a mm-hmm. fundamental sort of moral reflex level, mm-hmm. they just get that. And, yeah. and that, that I think that's evidence of God, right? The, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Yep. Eternity is written on the heart of man. So I like to start with those self-evident premises mm-hmm. that our founders uh, crafted into our founding Well, document. see, and that's what I agree with. And that's where, like, I didn't want people to overthink it. Like, when you say, you know, imago Dei and, okay, so how am I an image bearer? It's, it's, it's a, I sometimes think it's a category error because it's, it's not what you do, it's what you are. You are a human being, therefore you're valuable, right? It's Mm -hmm. not something I achieve, it's what I am. And, and that's, I think the fundamental crux of it. Right, and pro-life philosophers, you know, they'll go deeper, right? Um, People have done great work on this. Uh, Frank Beckwith, Mm -hmm. um, Patrick Lee, uh, of course, my mentor, Scott Klusendorf, Um, Greg Kokel, um, many others, um, Christopher Kazor, and they'll, they, you know, I think therefore I am, right? That we, sure. we have a fundamentally rational nature. But then someone might say, well, you know, what about someone who is brain dead, right? So exactly. what about someone um, who is severely mentally handicapped and is not able to practice sort of cognitive mental capacities in the same way that you and I can, you know? And then the pro-life philosopher responds, well, no, the, the fundamental question is all things being equal. Yeah. That is that capacities run central to who we are, you know, so they'll say it's a dog, not a dog just because they can't bark. Yeah. You know, if they lose the ability to bark. Well, no, it's still a dog, you know. So, okay, so the mentally handicapped individual who can't achieve the same level of uh, mental excellence as you and I, um, all things being equal, they still would. That doesn't mean they're not a human being. And we can get into those conversations. Sometimes we have to with pro-abortion philosophers that are going to offer, you know, more carefully crafted arguments. But for the the pro-choice run-of-the-mill, right, Uh, individual on the street level, Mm -hmm. a simple argument from human nature should suffice. Yeah, I agree Mm. with that. And it's because they're a human, right? Like the the unborn is not a human. Well, what is it a dolphin? Is it a chameleon? Like what's in there, man? Like it's crazy. I have four kids and every time they've come out and they're human beings. It's insane. I got lucky, right? No, that's how it is because humans beget humans. That's what they are. And before they ever achieved anything or learned language, they are Mm. a human being. They have a human nature. And so I think that's really important for us to just be able to, to anchor it in in that. And you're right. We do need right. to get into the philosophical things with arguing with certain people. But on the street, people get they mm. get that idea. But I just don't want people to get confused on, well, what is what do you mean by human right. nature? Yeah. And when do we get right. it? That's important. We right. get it at conception like because yeah. it's what totally. we are. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But I do want your listeners to be aware of the of – the, the moves that will be made mm-hmm. by the pro-choice people in their lives. So your friends, family members, or coworkers who might disagree with you. What what are they going to say? What's going to be their next move when you graciously engage on topics of abortion? And you say, I believe abortion is wrong because I believe it's always wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. That's mm-hmm. what abortion does. And so therefore, I believe abortion is wrong. The pro-choice person at this point for your listeners will say something like this. Um, either they'll say, well, it is cellularly human, so it has human DNA, sure. but it's not a human being. And, and we can correct that by pointing to the science of embryology, mm-hmm. which has clearly, clearly communicated for decades that from the moment of conception, the unborn child is a whole human being. So they're not like a skin cell yeah. that, just, that just has human DNA. That's confusing parts with holes, mm-hmm. right? When I scratch off my skin cells on my arm, those somatic cells that come off 
are not human beings, are they? No. But they're they they are cellularly human. They have human <laughs> DNA. Sure. But they're not a human. They're part of the whole. I'm the whole entity, okay? So your listeners need to understand that that many pro-choicers will take the anti-science route by saying, okay, the unborn has human DNA from the moment of conception, but it's not really a human. Mm. No, no, from the moment of conception, that's a whole human being. What does that mean? It means that from the moment of conception, the unborn child already has everything they need mm -hmm. to realize their full growth and development as a participating member of the human species. Yeah. Just like me at 20, 28 years old has everything I need to realize my full growth and development as a 40 year old. Yeah. Am I 40 yet? No. In fact, I recently found out, actually my wife recently found out that men don't reach their mental peak until their forties. Really? And she was very encouraged by that. She was really <laughs> hoping, hoping. She's like, this whole, all right. And I go. said, thanks babe. Thanks, <laughs> um, so there are degrees of development that I have not realized yet. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that I am not a whole human being now? No. Of or course that, not. Or Similarly, that you weren't when you were five years old. Or that you exactly. weren't when you were an infant. You could do the toddler to the teenager, the teenager to the adult. Sure. We could ask that question about any human being at any tick mark along the continuum of human development. Yep. So similar, the unborn child has everything they need to realize their full growth and development. Okay, so so that so you that's how you debunk the first move of the pro-abort who says, uh, okay, it is a human in the sense that it's cellularly human, but it's not like a whole human being. No, it is a whole human being. Mm -hmm. Then they'll say, and this is really where the abortion debate happens is right here. They'll say this, it's not a person. And, and this is the type of historical bigotry that the advocates of genocide yes. have always resorted to, is separating the term human from person. And mm -hmm. my university speaking tour last year, which was supposed to wrap up at UC Berkeley and my alma mater, Westmont College, oh, man. unfortunately both got canceled in March because of COVID. Wow. And those were going to be two really fun events because Berkeley's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and Westmont's been infected by, by leftism, the, uh, theological liberalism. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, Westmont College hires pro-abortion professors. Professors. Really? Um, and I know that because I, ha I had email correspondences with them, and, and uh, we can get more into that on another on another episode maybe. Wow. But um, so the idea that I was articulating in that speaking tour was that the proponents of genocide have always separated the term human from person mm -hmm. in order to dehumanize a subset of human beings that they had a vested interest in exterminating. Yes. This is what the, the Nazis did to the Jews. This is what the racists did to African-Americans. And this is what pro-aborts do to unborn children. Mm -hmm. In each case, in each historical case, you guys, the um, proponents, the defenders of genocide did not deny the biologically human nature of their victims. They weren't going around saying that Jews are not biologically human if you look at their sure. DNA. Yeah. They were saying they weren't persons. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing that the pro-abortion movement does to unborn children. Would so you... that's, the set, that's the second move that the pro-abortion movement makes, is to argue against the personhood of the unborn and argue that only persons have rights. So would you say that the move is to basically say I'm God and I'm not deeming value and and, and worth on you. That's oh, yeah, that's absolutely. what they're doing, right? A person yeah, I is I value. That's all the time. At the end yeah. of the day, uh, uh, abortion is is a way for mm -hmm. individuals to deify themselves mm -hmm. and determine who gets to live and who gets to die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's fascinating. And then yeah, you dehumanize yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. They're dehumanizing them. Do you think it's ironic that in a primarily naturalistic, scientific society, people run to a metaphysical argument to make their case? Like, yeah. like I know biologically it's a human being, but it doesn't have this magic sauce called personhood. Right. Well, what is right. that? Like, yeah. on your worldview, what what does that even mean? I didn't think yeah. there was yeah. a ghost in the machine. I didn't think... Right. You, you deny the, the, the existence of an objective reality. Yeah. So how then are you going to metaphysics and asserting your form of objectivism yeah. uh, to defend the pro-choice <laughs> it position, no right? It, it's very, it's very funny that pro the pro-choice movement by and large is packed with um, secular humanists and atheists mm -hmm. who don't mm -hmm. hold to an objectively true universe, right? They're not objectivists. They don't believe in objective truth, mm -hmm. um, but they're sure convinced that pro-lifers are objectively wrong. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> very uh, true. Yeah, so I wanted to uh, actually like redirect the conversation a little bit again back to Biden and Harris because uh, you were mentioning about them as like a uh, political candidates that are probably like the most pro-choice option that we've had for a presidential uh, office in history. And do you kind of want to elaborate a little on that? Yeah, good question. Yeah. The Biden Harris. Uh, administration uh, will be the most pro-abortion one in American history. They they currently are the most pro-abortion political ticket in American history. And 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 here's what I have to say about that um, briefly, and then I'll I'll, I'll elaborate. Mm. It is a moral wrong. Okay, that's the language I'm going to use. It is a moral wrong for Christians to vote for a party that, in their platform, has promised to protect expand and fund the slaughter of innocent human beings. Yeah. Oh, but they're unborn. Yeah, where one is has no bearing on who one are. Yeah. Uh, oh, but they're not persons. Yeah, well, your same party used to say that about blacks. Yeah, Yeah. well, they can't feel pain. Yeah, some born people can either. I mean, we could go down and down this road of bigoted arguments. At the end of the day, it's just a, it's just a rehashing of bigotry uh, towards the unborn child. Yeah. They do represent the most dangerous political administration for the unborn in, in American political history. And we've had some very pro-abortion candidates. Oh, sure. Obama is currently the most pro-abortion president in American history. Mm -hmm. Hillary would have been far more pro-abortion than, than Obama. And it was a, it was a gracious move of God, uh, to, um, help America avoid her. Now, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, right? Sure. Um, but And ultimately, our hope is not in politics. But that was a mm -hmm. good thing for America. That was yes. a good thing for freedom. And that was a good thing for unborn children that Hillary did not become president. Mm -hmm. Biden and Harris represent an extremely more dangerous political ticket mm -hmm. than, uh, than Kane, right? Than Tim Kane and, and Hillary Clinton posed. Mm -hmm. I have an episode, uh, maybe 52 and I, I'm on 62 right now. So only a few episodes back on my podcast guide called Joe Biden abortion crazy kook. <laughs> um, and then I have uh, this last Monday's episode called Kamala Harris hates babies. Mm. If you listen to those two, you will get a very good in-depth mm. overview of Biden and Harris's entire political history on abortion mm -hmm. and the danger that they would pose in the Oval Office. Right. Um, Kamala Harris was attorney general in California not that long ago, right before she became senator. Yeah. 
And she was the one who prosecuted David Daleiden and the Center for Medical Progress in 2015 for releasing their undercover investigative journalist videos mm-hmm. with right. high-ranking Planned Parenthood officials, not, not random staff members, right? High-ranking mm-hmm. members of clinics or of Planned Parenthood um, corporate mm-hmm. over, over lunch meetings haggling over the price of dead baby body mm-hmm. limbs that they were trying to sell to interested third parties for more profit. That is illegal. The trafficking of body parts is illegal, be be they fetal or born body parts. And it's illegal because it creates an incentive to get more of those body parts. And the only way to get those body parts is to kill more babies through abortion. Mm -hmm. And David Delighton and Sandra Merritt of the Center for Medical Progress were the first undercover journalist to ever be prosecuted by the Attorney General of California for recording... um, conversations in public areas, right, where there's no reasonable expectation of privacy. Mm -hmm. So as David Daleiden rightly points out, Kamala Harris was prostituting her her attorney general duties, her Mm -hmm. uh, prosecutorial duties to her political campaign donors, Mm -hmm. the abortion industry, who max out to her reelection campaigns every year. Yeah, that's right. Rather than targeting Planned Parenthood for their illegal involvement in trafficking baby body parts that they had already aborted to make extra cash on. Yeah. And they still have not been fully prosecuted. And Kamala Harris raided David Delighton's apartment and and prosecuted him for misusing California law and recording uh, conversations without permission, which you actually can be prosecuted for if you do it like in someone's living room where there's no reasonable expectation of privacy, but not at a restaurant. Yeah, this yeah I was thinking was it was a public place, place, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. restaurants. This yeah. woman was behind the Women's Health Protection Act that she co-sponsored last year, uh-huh. which represented the most radical piece of federal pro-abortion legislation in American history. Guys, mm-hmm. this this piece of legislation would have basically um, ruined all of the state laws against discriminatory abortions, mm-hmm. which say you, some states have laws that say you can't kill babies if you're doing it because you don't want a boy, for example, sure. right, or based off of race or something like that, or based off of eugenics. I also have a podcast episode called Abortion is Modern Day Eugenics from just a few weeks ago for your listeners. Mm-hmm. Many parents will get abortions after they learn that their baby has Down syndrome or trisomy 18, right, yeah. or they're disabled. So some states have laws against discriminatory abortions. The Women's Health Protection Act, co-sponsored by Kamala Harris, would have done away with all those laws. It would have done away with parental notification laws, which to say if you're a minor who wants to kill your child, maybe you should have your parents involved. It would have done away with the pain-capable unborn child uh, protections in certain states at 20 weeks plus, where it is undisputed that the unborn child can feel the full range of human pain just like any born person. Mm. It would have done away with that. Um, It would have prevented any uh, state legislation on preventing third trimester abortions. It would have forced Americans to fund abortion even more. I mean, this I mean, this is radical, radical legislation. Yeah, that's insane. And to just continue with Kamala, give you a brief flyover on Kamala Harris. She has said since she started running for president last year before her campaign erupted in a flaming garbage pile of fire, (laughs) she said that she was going to institute pre-clearance guidelines for states who wanted to pass pro-life legislation, basically obliterating federalism and the democratic will to institute her botched political ideology. What that means is that if a more red state wanted to pass pro-life laws before the legislation is even voted on, guys, Kamala Harris would have to give it pre-clearance. Jeez. Oh, wow. That is so anti-unconstitutional yeah, and anti-crazy. She has said that she is 
open to the conversation about adding four more justices to the Supreme Court. Uh, by the way, anytime a, a radical pro-abortion Democrat tells you they're open to having a conversation about something, it usually means we need to do it right now. Yeah. Uh, it's their way to try to be perceived as a moderate. So <laughs> she said she'd be willing to add four Supreme Court justices to the Supreme Court. What is she telling us, guys? She's telling us that under her administration, she would pack the court with four leftists in yeah. one term. She's going to yeah. change it. She's going to pick who's four in. more yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg for a second. Ugh. That would set the pro-life movement back decades yeah. and obliterate the option and ability of ending abortion in our lifetime. Yeah. And yeah. lastly, she said that she would be open to talking about getting rid of the filibuster. Mm. So basically, uh, oh, you, oh, you want a filibuster? The attempt of the Biden-Harris administration, who might have the House and the Senate, to expand the size of the Supreme Court? Sorry, you can't filibuster it. We got rid of it. Yeah. She said she'd be willing to do that as well. So what does all that mean? It means that she will weaponize all of that political power against unborn children. Okay. So I released a graphic today on my on my social media saying essentially that Kamala Harris is to babies what Hitler was to the Jews and unborn children will be targeted for dismemberment like any other time in American history under a Biden Harris administration. And that's yeah. just Kamala Harris, guys. I haven't even gotten to Joe Biden. Um, so they represent the most dangerous political ticket for the unborn. Wow. And that's that's where you see this because yeah. like, again, it, it's. If you're just looking at it from a political standpoint, you go, why do you have to be pro-choice to be in the Democratic Party? Because you have to be. Like, you will go nowhere if you're not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders said that to be part of our party, you have to be pro-abortion. You have to be. And so um, with that, um, and, you know, it's it's always masked as women's health, which it's not. It's devastating to women's health. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Not on reproductive health care, Robbie. <laughs> no, I'm not. Some kind of bigot. Yeah, I I'm bigoted towards killing innocent lives. Yes, um, but the, the, but that's where it gets back to. This is this is a spiritual war, um, right. because why why I mean from a human standpoint, you go why be so rabid about something like that. Like it's insane. Like you can't really believe you're helping that many. You're not helping people, and and that's the case. It's not a political thing. It's a spiritual battle. Uh, Satan's waging war against the image bearers of God, which is he's been doing in different venues and in different ways oh. since the beginning. He wants to annihilate. It's not about us. reproductive healthcare and, and the political no. operatives who use that type of euphemistic linguistics, that type of euphemistic gymnastics to communicate yeah. that. The reason, guys, why they have to work so hard to reinvent the English language to describe <laughs> the limb tearing of children as reproductive health care yeah. is because reality has an annoying tendency of reasserting itself in our lives, right? Yeah. The great conservative consolation is that reality reasserts itself in the end. It did with yeah. slavery. It did with the Holocaust. Reality has a tendency of crawling back up out of the grave that you dug it into and slapping you in the face, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the, that reality has a tendency of doing that. And that is why, um, and that is why political operatives have to resort to doublespeak, right? Mm -hmm. Doublespeak is the idea of, you know, saying the lie, saying the lie about the truth, yes. saying that the good is the bad, the evil is the good, right? The lies are the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, this is very Orwellian. And the reason why people have to do that is because at a fundamental level, guys, and this is very important, I believe at a fundamental level, the partisans of abortion know fully well that these are little human babies. Yeah, they yeah. And I, I can sure. give so many examples of that. Um, for example, June Medical versus Rousseau, the big abortion decision that was at the Supreme Court just in uh, June or something, mm -hmm. uh, June or July, and it was out of a Louisiana law 
that simply required this. You ready? You ready for how radically uh, pro-life bigoted this is? It simply said, abortionists ought to have admitting privileges at a local hospital, just like every ambulatory surgical center. <laughs> well, I mean, literally every surgeon or ambulatory surgical center has to have admitting privileges at a local hospital to expedite the process of checking in a new patient if, the, if for emergency reasons, for emergency care. Mm-hmm. And frequently, there are botched abortions. Women's uh, you know, uterine wall can be torn through. Yeah. They can start bleeding mm-hmm. internally. And abortion clinics, believe it or not, shocker, are usually not equipped to care for the health of women because they don't really care about the health of women. So all this law said was, hey, we just need to treat abortionists and the abortion industry and hold them to the same high level of medical care and standards as all other forms of surgeries. I mean, how not controversial is that, right? So what this law did was it forced the partisans of abortion to either affirm that they care about women's health above everything else, or expose their real faces, take mm-hmm. the mask off, and show us that you're partisans hacks who hate unborn children, and you're willing to sacrifice the life and health of the very women that you claim to wake up to serve in order to maintain abortion access. Mm-hmm. That's what that decision revealed to us, folks. Yeah. Um, and you guys can go back on my podcast. I have a whole episode about that as well. And the reason why it revealed that was because we have plenty of cases in which women have died Mm -hmm. Uh, because they didn't have the best care available to them at the abortion clinic. So why is it controversial, pro-choicer, to ask the abortion industry to have the same standards as every other surgeon to ensure best care for the women? Here's the answer. They knew that very few abortion clinics or abortionists could meet those standards. Mm -hmm. And we know that because there was a Texas decision just like it several years ago that was struck down by the Supreme Court. And I can't remember who wrote the majority opinion, but what he the point he made in it, he was one of the liberal justices. One of the points he made in it was that um, uh, about 50 percent of Texas's abortion clinics would have disappeared had that law been upheld because so many of those clinics wouldn't have been able to meet those standards. So what is the abortion industry telling us? That's a little vignette that communicates this truth. The abortion industry doesn't give two flipping bleeps about the health of the women that they claim to serve because they're quite willing to boycott policies that would ensure the highest level of uh, protection for those women's health in order to ensure that no access to abortion is limited whatsoever, Mm -hmm. which means that what? It's really about cash. Mm -hmm. It's really about making money on the slaughter of preborn children. So now – now this gets to a much more debase and disgusting type of discussion because they're not just people who have self-deluded themselves into believing that it's truly just reproductive health care. That's just a phrase that functions as a political cudgel mm-hmm. to bash pro-lifers as not caring about health care when they're the ones who are endangering the health care of women in order to expand abortion. Yeah. So yeah. these are people who are serving Satan, who is the first and original and most passionate murderer of babies. Mm-hmm. He is the dragon in Revelation waiting for Mary to give birth to eat her child. He is behind Pharaoh's command to kill all of the babies. He is behind Herod's command to kill all of the babies. Mm -hmm. Satan loves killing babies, and he does it because he knows it wounds the heart of God and fragments the church and creates broken, broken people. Right. So as Christians, what do we do about this? Obviously, you can't vote pro-choice. Like, I just... 
and I don't, I, you know, I don't know every single person who listens to our show, but like, you just can't. Like, that's just, that's right. if you want to live a consistent Christian life, you have to be pro life and vote pro life. Yeah. And so, obviously, I mean, obviously, that's something. Obviously, prayer is huge. Obviously, talking to your friends, listening to your show, Seth, getting equipped on how do I change people's minds about this. But w- what right. are some other things that we can do as believers to, yeah. to wage this spirit? battle. That's a really good question. Yeah. What can we do? Yeah. Let's definitely, let's, let's definitely wrap up with that. Firstly, I would add one comment to what you just said about how we have to vote pro-life. I, I absolutely agree. Um, however, here's an interesting uh, sort of caveat to that conversation that most pro-lifers are not aware of. And, and it's, it's something that most pro-lifers may not be equipped to think through well, um, unless they hear it from a more seasoned pro-lifer and I'm not talking myself up necessarily, but I've been in the movement for a long time yeah. in a situation where you have a pro-abortion Republican, okay, running for, let's say, the House of Representatives, right, running for a a congressional seat, and you have a pro-life Democrat. Is there such a thing? Oh, this has happened all the time. Okay. Oh, yes, there are some. There are pro-life Democrats. Yes. Uh, They're a rare breed today, right? Uh, But they're not extinct yet. Okay. Uh, There is a group called Democrats for Life of America. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a couple bones to pick with them. Um, They're proponents of this sort of whole life ethic, consistent Mm -hmm. life ethic, which says you're not really pro-life unless – uh, you support uh, universal uh, basic income and, uh, you know, open borders and universal health care. Sure. And because you have to be pro all lives. So they conflate protection of life in the womb um, with quality of life outside the womb. Okay. Uh, and that's a moral outrage. Those are not the same. Yeah. Um, but there's this idea that you ha- you're not really pro-life unless you adopt all of these other, you know, sort of positions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't like that about them, but they pressure their Democrat Party to make room for pro-lifers and to change their their abortion extremism, right? Okay. And there are some legislators. Um, there might even be one senator, though I, I could be wrong. There, if there's there might be one senator, but I believe there there's none. There's not a single pro pro-life Democrat senator except maybe one. But there's some representatives that are. Okay. Um, but they're part of a party whose platform is so pro-abortion <laughs> that a pro-life Democrat has no hope of accomplishing anything for the pro-life movement. Okay. Yeah. So that's important. So the only thing I'd add to what you, you said is that for pro-lifers who understand the legislative battlefield, the political battlefield, I would say you can never vote for a party whose platform is to promote, expand and fund abortion, okay. not necessarily never for, uh, a, uh, Never for a pro-choice person, okay. because in that circumstance, we we as pro-life individuals actually have to vote for the pro-choice Republican. And I know that sounds weird, but listen to me. That ensures that the Democrat Party doesn't get another congressional seat, mm-hmm. because sometimes these votes come down very close. They come right down to the wire. Yeah, that's true. And if you give another vote into the Democrat Party, oftentimes, even if he's pro-life, he'll cave out of pressure, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and there's a whole bunch of other sort of political aspects that go into that. Oftentimes, when they vote for the Speaker of the House, right, mm-hmm. who really sets the legislative agenda, oftentimes, pro-life Democrats have been known to vote for very pro-abortion Speakers of House, mm-hmm. Because okay. their whole party's doing it, so they cave. You see all the sort of yeah. ins and outs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, That's but, important. But would say, oh, no, pro-life. you got to vote for the pro-life Democrat. No, not necessarily. Not if you want to ensure that eventually we have federal protections for unborn children. So you so would say vote thing. Republican. Always. Yeah. See, and you're from California, so this is kind of crazy from my perspective. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Californian yeah. saying that. Yeah, but they, you have to. You have to. And yeah. people go, oh, Seth, you're such a single-issue voter. Uh, excuse me, would you be a single-issue voter on slavery? 
Yeah. Oh, um, well, sure. Seth, um, well, Seth, um, yeah, that's, that, 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 that's not the same. How is it not the same? If yeah. you believe that human beings are intrinsically valuable and that human life begins at the moment of conception, then human rights and a right to life have to be granted to all humans, whether they're yes. in the womb or outside the womb, whether they're dependent or not dependent, whether they're small or big. Mm -hmm. And so if you believe abortion is, is as equally morally evil as slavery, if not more, then you need to adopt the same types of legislative strategies to protect their life as yes. you would for slavery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but they, they, the people who say they're not single issue voters on abortion, they say they're pro-life, but they, they don't vote. They don't vote single ticket. They're not a single issue voter would suddenly magically become single issue voters if the issue was slavery, yeah. which raises the question is Hadley Arcs, the great natural rights uh, philosopher, says, leaves me to wonder whether these friends are really possessed of a lively sense that real human beings are getting killed in these surgeries. Mm. Because if they were possessed of that sense, they would be just as politically committed to protecting the unborn as they would have been as abolitionists in 1850. That's right. So yeah. anyways, that those are a little bit little political intricacies maybe for your listeners. But what can we do as Christians? Mm -hmm. Well, one, you can have no part to do with evil. You can have nothing to do with the evil of the abortion industry, which means don't kill your children. Now, I yeah. know that sounds like a duh, but many Christians have been known to obtain abortions yeah. because they want to avoid shame. And guess what? They're not the first ones to do that, right? Mm -hmm. This has been done before. King David, right, yeah. arranges the death of an innocent human being out of shame of his sexual uh, malfeasance, of his sexual immorality, right? Yeah. He arranges to have Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, murdered so no one finds out that he slept with Bathsheba. How many Christian women or men go get abortions because they don't want someone to find out about their sexual immorality, yeah. right? So, hey, King David did it. If there was grace for him, there's grace for you, yes. right? The gospel is available to all, but we can have nothing to do with the killing of children. And unfortunately, the Guttmacher Institute Planned Parenthood Statistical Research Branch reports that over 30% of the annual abortion rate are being performed on women who identify as evangelical Protestants. Oh. So this is happening within the walls oh, of the church. That's terrible. Now, that leads me to my second point, which is this. How can we expect, okay, how can we expect obedience to protecting life from the Church of Christ if we can't prevent the slaughter of children within our own walls? Yeah. How can we expect American pastors to truly be pro-life, to, to do something about their pro-life position if they're, I think one could argue from a spiritual, theological perspective, are complicit yeah. in the death of children within their congregation? Mm -hmm. Because as my friend Victoria Robinson from Save the Stork says, their silence is really, really loud. Mm -hmm. Their silence is really loud. And what it does, friends, is it gives tacit permission yeah. to the young women in their church who suddenly find themselves facing an unplanned pregnancy and they think, I don't want my pastor or family to find out, but they were never given a, a truly spiritual, theologically rich perspective on abortion. Their youth pastor, their pastor never talked about it from the pulpit. So what is the, the unspoken assumption in the mind of that young man or woman in America's churches? it must not be that big of a deal, mm -hmm. right? That becomes yeah. the unspoken assumption. So the silence of our pulpits is deafening, friends. Well, and there's an opposite side is, well, and again, because I believe the Bible is true, uh, and sexual immorality is a bad deal, but maybe we make too much out of sexual immorality, and so the shame and guilt from that issue, which is wrong— overshadows, well, but killing an innocent human being isn't as bad as being ashamed of having mm -hmm. premarital sex, which is a crazy 
it's a crazy thing, but I think that that's what's been happening for the past 30, 40 right. years in American churches is that's this is the cardinal sin. Don't cross right. that line. But we, we're not even going to mention this. And, and you bet the world is there to tell you what to do when you find yourself in a crisis pregnancy situation. That's right. And yeah. if we don't talk about it, the world's going to tell people what to do, That's especially exactly, our young people. That's exactly right, Robbie. This is very important for your listeners to understand. Okay, I speak in Protestant Catholic high schools and youth groups and youth conferences all around the country. And I ask the administrators of these schools all the time that I have to work my my butt off to get into <laughs> in the first place. Most of them have never had a pro-life speaker before. Mm-hmm. And I ask them, I tell them rather, the issue is not whether your students are getting formed on how to think about abortion. The question is by whom? Mm-hmm. And do you want to play a role in the discipleship and formulation of how your young people are going to think about abortion? Yeah. Because they're all they're all absorbed in social media. They're getting formed on how to think about abortion by someone and in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Who is going to be the dominant voice yeah. in how they interact with the issue of abortion? And sadly, that voice has often not been the church, right? Yeah. Francis Schaeffer once said, that every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of Jesus Christ. Mm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. What does that mean? It means that there is no such thing as moral neutrality on the killing of children. You can't take the middle road. If you stand in the middle of the road, you're going to get run over by a truck. Mm -hmm. It's time for us to pick sides. It's time for Christians to abandon their, I will argue, sinful obsession with ensuring that they're not perceived as partisan. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for Christians to abandon their sinful obsession with their reputation and engage in the political battles necessary to protect unborn children. Oh, but Seth, the Republicans aren't perfect. Oh, but Seth, President Trump tweets nasty things. Sure. Oh, but Seth, the Republicans are not as open, they're not as friendly to, um, you know, open immigration as the Democrats. Oh, but Seth, Republicans don't support uh, universal health care. And you know, if all lives are important, then, then poor lives are important too that need health care. Oh, but this, oh, but that. All of these concerns, friends, that they would never raise if instead of the issue being abortion, the issue was spousal abuse or sex trafficking. What if instead of the Democratic Party being the party of abortion, they were the party of sex trafficking? And the Republican Party, with all of its same flaws that we can have debates over, was the party of anti-sex trafficking. Both parties have flaws. One party is flawed beyond all belief. One party is so flawed that it becomes a moral wrong to vote for that party mm-hmm. because in so doing, you were empowering their their political grab for power to protect the very injustice in question, namely the trafficking of children. So if the unborn child is equally valuable, then how can you lend support to that party? So secondly, pastors have to get bold. It's time for pastors to get into the pulpit and stop being silent about the abortion of the lambs Mm -hmm. and start decrying abortion, start articulating an ethic of life, Mm -hmm. start getting their people on the sidewalks outside of abortion clinics with signs that say, we will adopt your child. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that you have to do that to be pro-life? No, because that's like saying, you can't oppose me beating my wife unless you're willing to marry her. (laughs) We don't have have to adopt personal (laughs) responsibility to adopt children to be truly pro-life. We don't. 
All that is required to be pro-life is to speak and live as if abortion is wrong. But as Christians in our individual lives, we do have responsibilities that are more broader and inclusive than the pro-life movement's objectives are. And those should include a care for widows and orphans. If we're supposed to care for the orphan because he is endangered, because his parents are dead, how much more should we care about unborn children whose Mm. life is endangered because his parents want him dead? Yeah. If the church cares mm-hmm. about evangelism and reaching the lost, who is more lost than a woman entering a entering a hitman facility who has reached such a low point in her life that she thinks she needs to pay a hitman to kill her child? Yeah. Whose heart is more ripe for the gospel than a man and a woman who now think that empowerment means paying someone to kill their child? Mm. These people are ready to hear the gospel. Right. So from a purely utilitarian perspective, abandoning any care about the unborn child, the church should be outside of abortion clinics just mm. for growing the church and getting new converts. And then you add in the value of the child who's an image bearer of God and a neighbor, the yeah. second greatest commandment, love your neighbor, we now have the opportunity if we merely put our people outside of abortion clinics every day that they perform abortions across all 50 states, we could bankrupt the abortion industry in a matter of months or years. Guys, studies from pro-life organizations have showed that upwards of 80% of women who are going to their abortion appointment will drive away and not enter the parking lot if there are just pro-lifers standing outside, mm-hmm. just standing outside, mm-hmm. not holding signs saying we'll adopt your baby, not holding signs of little pictures of eight-week babies in the womb just standing there. What does that tell us? It tells us that God's reign falls on the just and the unjust, and eternity is written on the heart of man. And so even a woman who is contemplating the death of her child has enough of a functioning moral compass in that still small voice that she might feel shame Mm -hmm. by seeing seen by others entering an abortion facility. Okay, so take those 80% of women who don't go into the abortion clinic if there are just men and women standing outside of those clinics. Now, take every church, take two churches in every county in all 50 states and get five people from both of those two churches. So 10 people from churches in every county in America who commit to standing outside of abortion clinics every day that they perform abortions. Mm. With signs saying, we will adopt your baby. We have a back house for you. We'll pay for the delivery. Mm. We'll pay for your groceries. Yeah. Can you imagine everything? It would change everything. It would bankrupt the abortion industry. And we as the church would be responsible. We could have the blessing and the joy of saving millions of babies and then getting those people in our churches to meet Jesus and then baptize their children or or if you're a Catholic or commit them to Jesus at their church by the very people who helped save that child. Think what that would do to American evangelicalism. Think what that would do to saving souls and saving babies, but the church doesn't do it because well, it's just too difficult. You know so that would be, that was long winded, but yeah, that, that's no, what I would that's great. To think about that. We can do this. Like we can actually save souls and save lives by adopting a certain level of personal responsibility, mm-hmm. just like the good Samaritan did right. when he walked by a bleeding victim on the side of the road who needed help. Yeah. The unborn is our bleeding victim. And how many pastors drive by the local abortion clinic on their way to church office to plan their sermon on Sunday. Mm-hmm. We are driving by bleeding victims that we could save if we would merely intervene. And of course, give to local pro-life organizations, equip yourself to defend life, but adopt personal responsibility. I think that's huge. And I think Mm. that's been one of the problems of the church is we've just been so silent on it, right? And like C.S. Lewis said, right, for evil to triumph, it just takes good men doing nothing. Uh, And that's that's where we're at is we all, well, 
I'd hope most Christians would say, yes, pro, pro-choice is, is terrible, mm. pro-abortion is disgusting. We've got to be for life. But yeah, but we, we've bought the lie that, well, don't rock the boat. Like, don't don't say what you think. Oh, my gosh, because we're supposed to love all people. Well, you can love people and you can stand for truth at the same time. And we have a heritage as Christians of doing these very types of things that you're talking about, Seth, um, in the early church, the early right? church. Yeah, <laughs> yep. they dump their babies at the dump. The Romans would leave right. baby girls at the dump and the church would go right. and adopt them. And the God early church was that. culturally diverse because they were literally saving infants that were <laughs> abandoned of different yeah. ethnicities. Yep. That is the heritage of the early church. That is how pro-life the church used to be. And now we think we're a pro-life church because you invited Seth Gruber to come give a pro-life talk on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday once every Sunday. Now, thank you. I mean, I'll take the honorarium. I need to support my family to do this, but it's a tragedy (laughs) that I have to be booked five Sundays straight every January because it's Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And and me as a pastor, I can't do this. So I have to have a pro-lifer do it. Again, this is my passion. I'm grateful for the opportunity, but I'd rather be struggling to find churches to speak in because the pastors would be so regularly preaching on abortion yep. and owning their responsibility to save preborn children that their congregants wouldn't need to hear a pro-life speaker. That's right. No, I totally agree with that. And I think that there's fear and I think that there's too much concern over uh, tax-exempt status and that's all crap. Like right. we need to stand up for truth and we need to stand up for life and i don't want to be standing before jesus and be held accountable as as somebody who was you know a proponent in the holocaust of nazi germany or in the pro-abort life of america where millions of kids are killed behind the scenes so it's out of sight out of mind uh, we can't. Right. We need to stand for injustice, um, especially when it's in the lives of the innocents. So, man, That's this right. has been awesome. We yeah. really appreciate your time and all of your wisdom on this. Uh, where can people follow you uh, if they want to learn more about what you're doing and, and get in, more into your ministry? Yeah, thank you. I'm most active on Facebook, so you can follow me at Seth Gruber. Uh, we have a growing community there. I post a lot of regular daily content. I have a podcast episode every Monday on Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, or if you like to watch it, it's also available on YouTube, and you can actually watch the whole show. Nice. I splice that up That's into great. tons of bite-sized content every week on Facebook with addressing specific, um, you know, sort of topics and conversations. So those are reshareable. They're very clickbaity. They'll equip you with little bite-sized pro-life munchies. Um, so that's available. So subscribe to Unaborted. I have a, a website, SethGruber.com. You can uh, get ask me questions. You can uh, do booking requests there if you want. You can also subscribe to my newsletter to get pro-life resources there mm-hmm. as well. And then if you want to support my ministry as one of the only pro-life organizations whose entire mission is to go speak to young people, to equip them to defend life and they so that they will be the pro-life generation, then of course, you know, any monthly partnership is appreciated as I commit my life to do this full time. So that's how you can connect with me. And my goal is just to equip you to defend life. We have six two episodes now on Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Any pro-life argument, pro-choice argument you've heard, I basically covered on there at this point. <laughs> yeah. um, or if I haven't, I will in the future. The one from two weeks ago was called, These Are the Best Pro-Choice Arguments, We Will Destroy Them. And I and I addressed the, the, the most two <laughs> persuasive arguments. They're not very persuasive because it's very difficult to defend the indefensible. Mm-hmm. But they're the two, they're heralded as the two most persuasive pro-abortion arguments. And I just, just laid those to, to the bigoted waste mm-hmm. that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so t- if you have the time I mean, you just like are a podcast guru. You, if you listen to my podcast, you will literally leave as a pro-life apologist. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's how you can connect with me. And thank you guys for having me on. Thanks for what you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's good to be in the battle with you. Absolutely. Yeah, bro. thank well, you so much. One of the things, too, I just wanted to say that I appreciate about you is that you don't pull punches and you don't try to be mm. – 
Um, you're not mean and you're not unloving, but you're going to say things the way that they need to be said. And you're not afraid to um, ruffle feathers, uh, which I like. Because honestly, yeah, yeah, like yeah. if this is a life or death issue, which it totally is, yeah. and if it's complete injustice and if it's anti-God, we need to say things like they are. Like your podcast, right. Kamala Harris hates babies. It's, right. it's just true based on facts right. of how she's voted. It's true. So I appreciate right. that you don't try to be – um, the That's guy right. who doesn't rock the boat. We should rock the, the feathers boat on things of like this. the pro-abortion movement and their political serviles, the Democratic Party, do need to be ruffled. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. I completely agree with you on that, man. So, hey, thanks so much for being together Thank with you. us today, Seth. We really yeah, appreciate brothers. what you're doing. Hey, listeners, go and check out what Seth is doing. Go subscribe to his podcast. Go to his website. Get him at, to come to your church. Get him to speak on a yeah. Sunday. It doesn't have to be in January because it's, it's, yeah, it's right. Sanctity of Life Sunday. That's have right. Him yeah, come yeah, yeah. Out. Have them come speak. And to as your, your guys' group. churches are opening up, as your as your listeners' churches are opening up, mm-hmm. dependent on the situation they're in, I am currently booking my pro life church tour called "I'm Alive," nice. um, and it's all about equipping the church to love their unborn neighbors and stand for life. Mm-hmm. And the whole service is built around pro life. And I'll preach from the Word of God. It will be a biblically sound sermon, yeah. but it will be equipping and it will be encouraging and it will be convicting. And then we have a follow up forum after the service for the churches that want to do that. Discussing on the ground local tactics on nice. how to stand for life in your community and providing organizational resources from friends of mine that mentor up local Christian pro-lifers to save babies um, and minister awesome. to women and children in their community. Yeah. So if one of your listeners' churches wants to do that on a Wednesday evening or a Sunday evening in mm-hmm. 2020 or 2021, it's called I'm Alive Pro-Life Church Tour. Um, and you can find out details about that on my website as well. Bro, that is awesome. Are you willing to travel internationally? Because we have people in the UK that listen and <laughs> even in Canada. Of yes, all yeah, I, yeah, I travel nationally and internationally. Cool. Well, hey, go check out his stuff. Please subscribe to his podcast. Stay in tune with this conversation because this isn't just a one-time issue. This is something mm-hmm. um, my wife and I, this is a big deal for us. And we support multiple um multiple pro-life institutions because we want to be making a difference in saving lives of human beings and so um, we need to put skin in the game we need to put time in we need to utilize our talents and our treasures in order to save image bearers of god so let's go out and let's make a difference with that but thanks so much for being with us today on christ culture and coffee and we will catch you guys next week thank you thanks for listening to christ culture and coffee If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.